What's up, free people? I've been wanting to say that for like over a year. Some of y'all ain't free. I can tell how free you are by how loud you cheer. About that. I love the fact that uh, anytime I address you all now, our church, I'm, I'm proclaiming your identity in Christ. You are free people. That's who we are. And it's what we do. It's our identity as a church. And it's our mission. It's our mandate. And uh, we talked about that last week. Last week, if you're new with us today, we changed our name last week. We started out eight years ago as Resonance Church. And it's been a journey. We changed our name to Free People Church last week. And I talked all about that last week. And so if you missed that or you want to know more about that, go watch that message. Um, Today, I want to continue talking about who we are as Free People Church. And I'm going to talk about that some more next week as well. Uh, Next week, I'm going to be talking about uh, our identity as as a church family, our unique uh, DNA, five uh, axioms of our of our DNA, uh, what makes us who we are, our unique fingerprint as a church. Also, three uh, cultural components of our church, things that we're striving for. I'll be talking about that uh, next week, and I really look forward to that. Today, I want to talk to you about what true freedom is, because I want to help establish us uh, in our identity as free people. And if we're if we are if we're going to carry the name free people. Man, that's something to live up to. That's something to live into. And uh, you can be a Christian on your way to heaven uh, and not be fully free in Christ. And we talked about that some last week. And so uh, I want to help establish us in what true freedom is in Christ. And the title of my message today is Free Indeed. Free Indeed. We're going to be talking about what true freedom is. Is I don't know about you when you were growing up, but me and my siblings, we would kind of get on each other's nerves a little bit, you know, Uh, like, you know, you're you chewing your gum too loud, you know, you're on a long car ride. You're you're singing that song over and over and over again and you don't realize it. But can you please stop singing that song? You're eating dinner and you're across from them. Like, can you chew with your mouth closed, you know? Anybody? Siblings? Yeah? Have those issues? And I don't know about you, but we had this, this thing we would say to each other uh, when, when we would feel attacked by our siblings. Um, but we would say to each other, it's a free country. <laughs> and you all use that one? It's a free country. That's our way of saying, I can do whatever I want. Especially in America. Can I get a good amen? Amen. I want to talk to you today, though, what it means to be truly free. Jesus talked about the difference between true freedom and a false freedom, a what I would call a counterfeit freedom. He talked about this in John chapter 8, which is where we're going to be today in Scripture. If you want to follow along in your own Bible or phone, digital Bible or whatever... And it's really, really important to differentiate because there is a false freedom. And the counterfeit freedom, the false freedom, I would say is even more dangerous than when you're just a captive. Like if you're just in bondage to drug addiction or pornography addiction and you know it, 
and you know it's a problem, that's one thing. I think that's actually a better situation than when you think you're free and you're really not. Because when you're a captive and you know it, you, there's this angst, there's this discontent, there's that thing in you going, this isn't how it should be and I need to get free. And you start to seek your freedom. Maybe you start to pray to ask God to help you get free, right? But when you think you're free and you're really not free, that's a much bigger issue. And I'm telling you, we have a spiritual enemy who does not want you to step into the fullness of the freedom that Jesus bought for you. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The reason Jesus died on the cross was to set you free from what? Talked about it last week. Sin, strongholds, and yourself. So if freedom is Jesus' mandate, which he said in Isaiah 61, that was his mandate, his mission. He was sent, he said, to proclaim freedom and then to set captives free. That's Jesus' whole mission on this earth. His mission is our mission. If freedom is that important to God, then how much more does your, your spiritual enemy want you to not experience the freedom that God offers you? And one of his biggest deceptions is this counterfeit false freedom. You think you're free, but you're really not. What am I talking about? Let's find out in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Everybody say if. That's a big if. If. You hold to my teaching. You're really my disciples. Hold to it means continue in it. Listen to what he says. Then. Everybody say then. 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 If this, then this. Which means if you don't do this, then you won't experience this. That's what he's saying. If you hold to my teaching, continue in my teaching you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And the word know there doesn't just mean intellectual knowledge. It means you'll know it from experience, from having lived it. You'll know it. Then, after you've continued in the teachings of Jesus, you will know that you know the truth. You won't just believe, think maybe he's God. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Any of y'all use that one on people? Maybe uh, when you see a Facebook meme you don't like or a political post you don't like or or you share it and you're like, truth will set you free. (laughs) It's the truth, man. Truth will set you free. Yeah, it will set you free if you live in it. If you just know it up here but you don't live in it, it will not set you free. You won't be free. You'll know about freedom. You might know what it how to get free, but you won't be free. What is truth then? That's a good question. That's the question Pilate asked Jesus when Jesus said, for this purpose I came into the earth, to testify to the truth. And he goes cynically, what is truth? What is truth? That's a good question. 
But there's a better question. Who is truth? Truth is not so much a principle as it is a person. And his name is Jesus. Because Jesus is God. God created all things. God defines reality. God defines truth. God defines morality. God defines us because we're made in his image. So truth, the principles of truth really just flow out of the person of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And if you continue in my teaching, you'll know me. You'll know what I'm like. And knowing me, the person of truth, that's how you can be free. Listen to how they responded to this. They answered him. These are the religious leaders, the guys with Bible doctorate degrees who knew the Old Testament of your Bible better than anybody here. They would have had the first five books memorized. They were also lawyers, judges in their culture. And these guys answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? You hear what they're saying? They're saying, we're free people. We're sons of Abraham, the father of faith. This This is a free country. We're not slaves. Why are you saying we can be set free by the truth when the reality is we're, we're not slaves. We've never been slaves. I love how relevant scripture is when you just preach scripture. How is it that this 2,000 year old text is still so relevant today? Why am I saying that? Because there's a whole lot of people that when I say in our day and age in America, you need to let Jesus set you free. You need Jesus to set you free. There's a whole lot of people who go, son, you ever heard Bruce Springsteen? I was born in the U.S. of A. I'm a red-blooded American. I was born free. I've never been a slave. Hey, listen, I can do whatever I want. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, and if that's your definition of freedom, then I would say, most likely, you're not free. Why do I say that? Well, listen to how Jesus responds to these guys who thought they were free. They really weren't. It says, Jesus replied, verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Hmm. You're born in America. Do whatever you want. Hmm. When you do whatever you want, do you sin? Do you have a porn addiction? Do you, do you, you know, our church, it's permissible to drink alcohol, but it's wrong to get drunk. That's our theological stance, because by the way, that's the Bible's theological stance. What's our, what's your theology? The Bible You'll hear me say that a lot when I preach. The Bible says, and I'll say it like that. People are like, why do you say it like that? Because I am absolutely worn out by Christian people believing things that the church they grew up in made up. The Bible says. 
Don't go down that rabbit trail. Breathe deeply. So when you can do whatever you want, if you find you sin quite a bit, then you're a slave to sin. You're not free. Sorry, let me finish that thought. So the Bible says it's permissible to drink alcohol. So do you drink every now and then? And the church, everybody at church thinks it's, oh, it's just now and then. But really, Friday, Saturday night, you have a little too much, and you try to gauge your behavior so not even your spouse knows, but the reality is you are drunk. Are you really free? You're slave to whatever's mastered you. Are you really free? Now, a slave, Jesus says, has no permanent place in the family. He's talking about salvation. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If Jesus sets you free, the son, you will be free indeed. What Jesus is pointing out is that true freedom is not doing whatever you want. True freedom is being set free by Jesus. And remember what he said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you continue in his teaching, if you keep on following him, if you live in a constant trusting union with Jesus, always continually yielding to his will. That's the definition of true freedom. You know, Jesus did that. Jesus did not follow his own selfish will. Jesus lived in a constant yieldedness to the Father. And he did it of his own free will. He chose that. So let's talk about if that's the definition of true freedom. Why do most people not submit themselves to the will of God or to Jesus to live in a constant yieldedness, constant trusting union, surrendering to the Father's will, surrendering to Jesus? Why is that? Let's just be honest. It feels like the opposite of freedom. So we think freedom is doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. That is a type of freedom. Jesus is teaching us that true freedom is being constantly surrendered to him and to his will. That means not doing whatever you want whenever you want to do it. You doing what he wants. And to know what he wants, you would have to spend time with him, wouldn't you? So you'd have to be in your Bible weekly. You'd have to, or daily, sorry. You'd have to be praying daily, right? But let's be honest, and I'll be honest, there's a lot of times to me, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do, and when I don't know what God wants me to do, there's a lot of times I don't feel like praying to ask him what he wants me to do, because deep down I probably know what he wants me to do, and I just don't want to do it. 
John Wooden, the, the famous basketball coach, one, probably the greatest coach ever, um, he said, most people know what they should do. They just don't want to do it. If you've ever been to counseling, they just ask you a lot of questions and you tell them what you should do. And you know it. Isn't that funny how that works? You just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. I get it. It's that battle. Here's the truth. And if you're taking notes, write this down. True freedom exists within good, healthy boundaries. True freedom exists within good, healthy boundaries. So the lie of counterfeit freedom is, oh, true freedoms do whatever you want. There are no boundaries whatsoever. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. But I'm telling you, true freedom exists within good, healthy boundaries. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, and the Lord commanded the man. Listen to what God told Adam. This is like day one, right? First days on the earth. You are free. Everybody say you're free. free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Did God mean any tree? I think he did. Now, we all know what's about to happen, right? He's about to do what? Draw a boundary around one tree, isn't he? But, verse 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, he said you're free to eat from any tree. But you must not eat from that tree. Now, were they free to eat from that tree? Let me ask another. Did he stop them? So were they free to eat from it? Yes, you have total and complete free will. You can do whatever you want. You are that free. That's scary free. That's scary free. Because I'm telling you, if you do whatever you want, whenever you want, pretty soon you won't be free anymore. And that's why our good and loving Heavenly Father said, you are free to do whatever you want. But I'm telling you, don't do that right there. Because if you do that right there, you will lose your freedom. That's what he's saying. He drew a good, healthy boundary around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, they had the knowledge of God and his goodness, right? So it was the knowledge of good and evil. It was a choice outside of the goodness of God. It was a choice outside of God's will. It was a choice that would give them the knowledge of what it's like to live away from God. That's the choice. There's choices within God, within God's will, and there's choices without God, without God's will. And that one choice represented all the myriad of choices we all face every day now to be in God's will or without God's will. And we know what they chose, don't we? They were totally free and in their perceived freedom to do whatever they want, they chose outside of God's will. And and what happened? Well, by the next chapter, actually two chapters later, their kids were killing each other. By the next chapter, they were dead because death was a consequence of choosing outside of God's will. Now, if you're dead, are you free? You're not even alive. You don't have freedom anymore. 
Let me ask you something. God didn't do anything. He just said, I'm going to tell you the consequence. You'll die. They ate of it. And what happened? We're naked. They were ashamed. They ran and hid. If you're so full of shame that you're hiding from your spouse, hiding from the world, are you free? No, you're not. They chose, there's, you are t- totally free to do whatever you want, but I'm telling you, true freedom exists within good, healthy boundaries, and those good, healthy boundaries are God's word. That's, That's why he gave us his word. His good, healthy boundaries are, keep us from harming ourselves and from harming other people so we can stay free. Amen. Think about the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery, don't cheat, don't kill people, and don't covet. That last one, that's really important. Interestingly, cross-culturally, down through the ages, regardless of atheism or theism, regardless of what God you believe in, they've done studies, and it's interesting, pretty much any culture from advanced Western cultures to tribes in the Amazon pretty much believe stealing's wrong, killing's wrong, um, killing people's wrong morally, um, and that there, you know, there tends to be these views that there should be limits on our sexuality. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? I would say it's because we're made in the image of a creator who defines morality. He's given us a conscience. It's an imprint of his nature on us. That's why Romans says, even if they don't know God, they're without excuse because they actually are made in his image and they do know better because they have a conscious telling them right from wrong and we all violate our own conscious and our sin and we're not free anymore. We carry that guilt and shame around and we hide that from other people. That's not freedom. And so that's why scripture says all the law and prophets are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul said, because love does no harm to its neighbor. So what are the Ten Commandments? That's just God saying, like, don't hurt each other. And don't covet. Why? Coveting is wanting what other people have. Coveting causes all the others. Even the first four that deal with your relationship with God. Why did the Israelites fall away from God? They were looking at the nations around them and their gods. Oh, their God lets them sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want. That looks fun. I want that God. I covet. What is coveting? It's selfishness. It's self-will. And so true freedom is not doing whatever you want, whenever you want. Because if you do that, pretty soon you're not going to be free anymore. And I could give you this real simple example. In America, in our, let's just use our country as an example. You're born free. This is a free country, at least for now. Better pray about that. <laughs> pray for kings and all those in authority so we can live godly, peaceful, quiet lives. <sighs> pray for this country. You're born in America. You can do whatever you want. All right. You're so free. Let's say last weekend, July 4th, you know, Monday you had the day off because it was July 4th. 
But let's say Tuesday you're still feeling real patriotic. So you got up and you wanted, you wanted to celebrate your freedom. You were feeling so free. You decided to go to work in your birthday suit. I'm free. Woo. So you go. Now, are you free to make that choice? Yeah. Is anybody going to stop you? Probably not if you don't tell anybody in advance. They're not going to know. And so you show up to work, you go in, and you're like, I'm free. (laughs) Yeah, you're free. But I'm really thankful that we have good, healthy boundaries in America. (laughs) And one of them is called indecent exposure. And if you won't put clothes on, they will put you in jail. In your birthday suit. (laughs) And then you won't be free anymore, will you? Why is that? Because even we and our natural human selves know there are limits to freedom. Because when you do whatever you want and I do whatever I want, pretty soon we infringe on each other's freedoms. So true freedom exists within good, healthy boundaries. You are totally free to do whatever you want. You do have a choice, but there's only one good choice, and it's the ways and the will of God. And that's where freedom exists. What's true freedom in here look like? Peace. Peace of mind. Fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is a prerequisite. You'll never have joy if you don't have peace. If you have anxiety and fear and turmoil and you're always worried, if you're always angry and fuming and upset, you don't have peace. That's your problem. And you'll never have joy if you don't have peace. You got to have peace first. And joy grows like fruit from a tree out of peace. And scripture says the fullness of joy is in God's presence. It's even better than when you used to get high. It's even better than being drunk. It's the fullness of joy. Scripture says he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him because they trust in him. Perfect peace when you're in perfect loving union with God. Fullness of joy in his presence. Scripture says when you're so full of joy and peace, you overflow with hope for the future. And you struggle with depression, anxiety. What's your problem? It's probably that you just keep doing whatever you want to do. You think you're totally free, but you're in bondage. Submit yourself to God. Draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. He will set you free. And you'll experience the fullness of his peace, the fullness of his joy. Whew. True freedom exists within God's presence and his good moral boundaries. And I don't know about you, but I know I can drift so easily. So easily. Jesus said daily, take up your cross and follow him. What is a cross? It crucified sin. So taking up your cross, ooh, A lot of people have physical illness and sickness. and It's just a cross God's called me to bear. The cross was crucifying sin. A cross represents crucifying your self-will. That's what a cross represents. 
deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And man, I'm just going to tell you, true freedom exists within God's good moral boundaries, but they are what's best for you too. And so the lie of our culture is do whatever you want. Your sexuality, do whatever you want. Be whoever you want. That's freedom. That's your truth. Live your truth. I'll live my truth. And let's not judge each other. The problem is, in our context today, I have the truth. I know the truth in those situations. And I know if you don't live by it, you will not be free. You will be separated from Jesus. You'll spend eternity really not free. And because I love you, because God loves you, he tells me to tell you these things. He tells me to tell you the truth so that you can know the truth, so that you can be set free. And listen, God's ways are what's best for us. Just one example, (laughs) sexual morality. Let's just play this out. What the false freedom says, what it feels like, what God's word says, what it feels like. So false freedom says, do whatever you want, be who you want to be. And that feels like freedom, doesn't it? God's word says, remain a virgin until you're married, right? Get married and be faithful to that spouse for the rest of your life. Till death do you part. That's God's word. And here's what's interesting. There's been many studies done on sexuality, how it impacts culture, how it impacts people. And I'm just going to quote you real quick because I don't have time to share everything. But isn't it interesting that when we do sociological studies, they confirm what God's word says? Did you know married couples with conservative religious beliefs enjoy the greatest sexual satisfaction? Wow. Don't hear that very often. That is not what the, the culture would say. But when they do studies and they survey people of all different types, those are the ones who say they're the most satisfied in their sex lives. That's interesting. Did you know people who are not married are many more... Oh, yeah. People who are not married are many more times uh, more likely, many times more likely to have an abortion. Over 84%, I think, of people who get abortions are not married. Did you know people who live together before marriage are more likely to get divorced than people who don't? It's interesting. Did you know porn has been proven to be addictive and have many negative side effects on your brain and eventually your body if you let it go far enough? And yet, sexual activity with your marriage partner has no negative side effects and only has Positive side effects. Did you know there's even been a link proven between a culture's sexual chasteness, meaning they have a conservative view of sexual morality, one man, one woman, wait till you're married, and then once you're married, stay married till you die. There's a link between how conservative a culture is in their view of sexual chasteness and that culture's flourishing in business, finances, the arts, and so on. If you want to Google that, Look it up. It's uh, Oxford researcher J.D. Unwin's book, 600-page book that summarizes a lifetime of his work called Sex and Culture, where he studied all these cultures down through the centuries, going way back to, like, ancient societies. 
And he showed when they had loose morals when it came to sex, within three generations, the culture totally was destroyed, basically, if they had super loose morals. And the more conservative they were in their view of sex, the more flourishing their society was. Now, that's regardless of which God you're believing in. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because all truth is God's truth. Because God created us, designed us as people to live a certain way. And so even if you don't know the Christian God, but you live in that way, you're going to be blessed. Why? Because you're just living how you were created to live. Did you know nations are built on society? Society is built on community. Community is built on family and family is built on marriage. And so when you start messing with what marriage is, you start messing with the foundations of your culture. And there have been cultures who've messed with that. We're not the first. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, the Emperor Nero who killed Paul married a man, had a wife, killed her, married a man while he was emperor. Did you know that? They were de- the first century church was living in a culture similar to ours. Is that culture no longer around? Yeah, it's gone. Hmm, it's interesting. God's ways bless our lives. Scripture says it this way. I remember reading this as soon as I came back to Christ. It's in, um, I think, 1 John. It's one of, one of John's, 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John. He says, his commands are not burdensome. And when I f- first left a party lifestyle, doing whatever I wanted, and started doing what God wanted, and I read that verse, I was like, yeah, right. This is hard. Can't do what I want. Can't have fun. Got to live all righteous and holy and stuff. That's hard. Sure feels like his commands are burdensome. Till you live that way for a year or two. Then you look at how blessed your life is. That's what it's saying. His commands bless your life. His commands bless your life. And there's total freedom in his presence. And... He is always only good. He is the essence of goodness. And he is love. God never asks us to do anything for himself. Selfishly. Because love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is not self-seeking. So God is love. He's the epitome of selfless love. Which means when God asks us to do something, it's not for him, it's for us. So when he says, love me, praise me. You ever read those psalms? Like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise God, praise me. Now, if a person said, if I was like, hey, church, praise me, laud me with praise and honor, for many are my works. <laughs> Wouldn't that be arrogant? You get, this church would not be a church next Sunday. You'd be like, I'm going somewhere else. That guy's crazy. Why can God get away with that? Because only that which is the epitome of selfless love can say, worship me. Why? Come to me. Follow me. Why? Because he's doing it for what's best for you. Because it's what's best for you. Because I want what's best for you. Because I'm like God. I know everything. I know everything about you. I know everything about your future. So when you submit your will fully to me, I'm going to tell you to do certain things. And you might, in your understanding, be so limited that you think they're bad and it's not going to go well. Or you just didn't feel good. I don't feel good. I don't feel. I don't feel. 
And he's going, just do it. You're going to be glad you did it after you did it. Because he's good. So you can trust him. You can trust him. True freedom is living within God's ways because we're made in his image. It's how we were designed to live. 1 Peter 2.16 says this, live as free people. Come on, somebody. Get free, live free. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Some of y'all thought, aha, there it is. See, God's slaves. He just wants slaves. He's love. He just wants love slaves. He just wants us doing all of his work for it. He just wants us to tell him how great he is. He wants slaves. I knew it. Peter is saying there's a difference between true freedom and false freedom. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up to do whatever you want, and it's really evil. If that's how you're going to live, you forget the freedom talk. You just need to live as God's slave. That's a lower way of thinking. And Paul says it this way. There's two kingdoms. You can live as a slave to righteousness if you want to, if you feel like it's so oppressive to you to do what's right. Then live as a slave to righteousness. You can do that, or you can live as a slave to sin yourself. And then Paul says, Are you proud of the things you used to do that you're now ashamed of? What what was the fruit of your life when you did whatever you wanted? Things you were not proud of, things you're ashamed of. What's the fruit when it, oh, it feels hard, and I know, I know it's probably right, but I guess I should do it, and I just don't want to, but then I do it. What's the fruit of that? Blessing, favor, honor, grace, goodness, all these good things. And Paul's just saying, hey, listen, there's two kingdoms. And when you're living for yourself, you think there's a third one, but there's not. You're really living for the devil. And when you live for yourself, you're outside of God's will, which means you're outside of his protection, which means the devil can oppress you, attack you, rule you control you, possess you in some cases. That should put the fear of the Lord in you. And so true freedom truly only exists within God's presence, within his good, healthy boundaries, within his word, within his definition of morality, because he defines morality. That's why James says in James 1.25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom... And continues in it. He's saying the Bible, the ways of God, they actually are the ways of freedom. Not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, living it. They will be blessed in what they do. You'll be blessed if you live according to the ways that God says. Psalm 119.45, I will walk in freedom. How could he say that so confidently? I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Walking in the commandments of God is walking in freedom. Because true freedom exists within God's good, healthy boundaries. In other words, true freedom exists within obedience. If you live in sexual immorality, you might feel free for a night, but you will wake up in bondage. 
You live in drunkenness. You might feel free for a night, but you wake up in bondage. If you live in total freedom and do whatever you want in your self-idolatry and self-exaltation and selfish pleasures, you may feel free for a while, but I promise you, you will wake up in your own prison, which you have created. True freedom exists in denying yourself and your self-will. That's why James 4.1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? That's why your marriage has problems. That's why you're having problems with your kids. You each have selfish desires. And then because you're each vying for what you want, you clash. That's what causes war. You ever think about that? War is caused by one whole nation saying, we want what that one has, or we think they're trying to hurt us, and ah, right? That's why Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross. True freedom exists in denying your own self-will. Why? Because when I'm focused on how to pleasure or satisfy myself, capital S, when I'm, when I'm, sorry, when I'm not focused on that, I'm free to love God and love other people. True freedom exists in love. Love does no harm to its neighbor. And that's why the law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. If we all perfectly was, were focused on loving other people, we don't even need the law. That's why the spirit of grace has set us free from the law of sin and death. Does that mean that we're free from the law of God, the Ten Commandments? So when Jesus sets us free, we can go kill people? No, the law of the spirit is living according to the nature of God and the 10 commandments. They're not just rules. They're revealing the nature of God. God doesn't kill people. God doesn't do this. God doesn't steal. God doesn't cheat. God doesn't so on. You tracking with me? It's living according to his nature. True freedom is in surrender to God's will and you can trust his will because he is good because he is love. And so my guess is, as I'm saying all this, it's resonating with the believers in the room, maybe even with people who, this is your first time in church. What I mean by that is like deep down, you're going, man, this is true. This is true. Every parent knows true freedom exists within good, healthy boundaries. Every parent knows that, that it's a false idea of freedom to give my kids no boundaries whatsoever. Here's some food. I'll be back in eight hours. Every parent knows that's a bad idea. They wrote a book about it. It's called Lord of the Flies. (laughs) They were killing each other by the end of the book, guys. Right? Every parent knows it. My guess is as we're talking about it, we're like, man, you're right. You're right. Oh, so true. So why do we struggle with this so much? And I want to talk about us. Judgment begins with the house of God. We can't have revival in the country if we don't have revival in the church. Right? If we're struggling to live in surrendered will to God, let's please just stop judging people who don't even know God. Right? We need to focus on us. And I'm telling you, we all know. I can feel it in the room. (laughs) We all as Christians struggle with this, to want to live, to want to to believe that it's actually good for us to live within God's 
boundaries and in a, in a constant submission, a constant yieldedness. That's hard, isn't it? To fight your flesh that much. The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Man, you got to wage war on that. You got to crucify that stuff if you're going to live and surrender to God. We know that's hard. Why is it so hard? Why are so many Christians who've said the prayer, believing in heaven, I'm going to heaven, but they sit in a prison cell on this earth, still slaves to so many things, so many ideas, so many mindsets that aren't of God, the things of this world, oppression of the enemy. Why is that? Obviously, we're sinful, right? Our hearts go astray. We know that. It's because we buy into the idea of false freedom in our culture. We know that. But I think it's deeper than that. I think it's more nefarious on our enemy's part than that. I think it's actually a diagnosed condition in the physical that I want to apply to the spiritual. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. Do you guys know what Stockholm Syndrome is? It was a a term coined in the 1970s. And Stockholm Syndrome is a condition in which hostages or captives or victims of abuse develop a psychological bond of trust and even in some cases affection with their captors during their captivity. So someone who's being held captive by another person, Stockholm Syndrome is when they develop feelings of affection and trust with the one holding them captive. This condition has been applied and has been observed in situations that include kidnapping, child abuse, coach athlete abuse, relationship abuse, sex trafficking, so on and so forth. It's a psychological coping mechanism. There was a famous case in the 1970s of a bank robbery where they were uh, held captive in this bank for like a week. And the police were calling and doing negotiations and they got to talk to one of the, one of the captives at the end of this week or towards the end of the week. And the, cap, the person who was being held hostage said, listen, we, we trust these people. And they're not going to hurt us. But we're afraid that if the police raid the building, we're going to get killed by the police. It was this twisted way of thinking. We, we've grown to trust the people holding us captive. Why does Stockholm Syndrome happen? Do you know why it happens? It happens because the captors, the people oppressing them, holding them captive, treat the captives well, even with kindness giving them comforts and other amenities in order to manipulate them and make them easier to control in their captivity. (laughs) Stockholm Syndrome. And I think that's our spiritual enemy's strategy against us as believers. Man, I know getting drunk is wrong, but man, it just kind of comforts me. And I'm responsible. I don't drive, you know. I just get a good buzz while I'm watching TV. And nobody has to know that I do that every single weekend. Or four or five nights a week. Nobody needs to know that. Except God knows it. Except in your comfort, it's keeping you from your calling. 
you know, I smoke weed every now and then, but you know, I just don't think it's a big deal. And scripture doesn't say don't smoke marijuana. Word marijuana is not even in the Bible. I've looked. <laughs> you found the loophole. <laughs> Oxycontin's not in there either. We can do a whole lot of stuff. You start to think weird things. You know, actually, it's, it's actually, people don't, I would never talk about this. People wouldn't understand. It's actually good I drink so much because, and I try not to get drunk. I really do. But it's actually good because I'm so stressed. If I didn't drink that much, like, I would be a bear to live with, and my marriage would suffer. And I would probably treat my kids worse, and I have social anxieties. And so, man, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. People wouldn't understand. But it's actually a good thing. You know, I don't think porn's that bad. I, it's probably a good thing that I look at porn because my marriage isn't fully satisfying me. I mean, I might be tempted to cheat if I didn't look at porn. You know, it's probably a good thing we look at porn together in our marriage because we were really struggling. It's, it's really helped us by looking at porn together because we just weren't connecting. So it's probably a good thing. I mean, who knows? We might get divorced if we didn't have porn. You just start to think some really twisted things. You know, it's probably a good thing that I live with my boyfriend, girlfriend before we get married, you know, sleep with them for, you know, you got to test drive that car before you buy it. It's probably a good thing. And it's probably a good thing that I just agree with these confusing feelings I'm having that I'm a biological female, but I just feel like I just want to be a boy or I'm a biological boy, but I just feel like I want to be. It's probably a good thing that I just agree with those because otherwise I'm just going to have this inner turmoil and I'm going to have to fight these inner battles like my whole life. And it's just going to be so hard. It's probably just a good thing. Stockholm Syndrome. Your captor is comforting you. Your demons are soothing you. But they're soothing you to keep you enslaved. Because what if you got rid of the alcohol altogether? Because if you have a problem with it, that's probably what you need to do. And what if that forces you to find your comfort in Christ? instead of a drug and when you do that you realize you have a calling then your hands get busy with the father's business and then you find man it's been years since you've even wanted a drink because you're too busy helping set other people free instead of living for yourself sitting in that lazy boy taking another drink binging on netflix living for your selfish comfort in the prison of your addiction What if the porn is the reason you've had problems in your marriage? What if you stop relying on it and it forces you to figure this out with your spouse? To have some conversations and to pray through those things. You know, God cares about your sex life. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't withhold yourselves from each other. 
well, there's so much between us. Well, then you need to have some talks and pray about it, don't you? You need to figure that out. God wants you to figure it out. He wants to help you figure it out. God cares about that. It's an essential part of your marriage. But as long as you're relying on porn, you're relying on a lie and you are in bondage because Jesus said, if you look lustfully, you're committing adultery. (laughs) You know, without porn, I might commit adultery. You are committing adultery. And by the way, every time you click on it, even on that free site, you're funding them through ads. You're funding that person being in the porn industry. Let's go do a protest and, and get porn outlawed. Maybe it wouldn't need outlawed if Christian people weren't clicking on it. Are you tracking with me? You are funding it by looking at it. You're paying for it. I'm not paying. It's for the ads. Your traffic is paying for it. And you know, let me just tell you, if you've ever struggled with gender identity or homosexuality feelings inside, let me just tell you the truth. Uh, we all struggle with confusing feelings. All, every single person on this earth struggles with confusing feelings, with hard feelings, with even desires to do things that we ought not do. They're called sinful desires. I struggle with those. It's, when you don't act on it, it's called temptation. Mine have never looked like that. But I have to fight this temptation every now and then to not lust after a woman that's not my wife. I have to guard my eyes from pornography so that I don't do that. Because if I look at that, it's going to excite me. It's going to cause desires for a person that's not my wife and that is wrong and that is sin and there are some psychologists and counselors who tell you well if you just feed that and, you know have a have a talk with your spouse and have an open marriage you know and then you can do whatever you want and then you both be free and when you love each other it'd be great there are literal counselors who will tell you stuff like that and I'm going to tell you the truth you're going to have to fight inward battles no matter who you are no matter what you believe and here's the battle you think it's gonna you think it's gonna be freedom to come out and agree with your demons. Or you could fight an inward battle, what scripture would call taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And those thoughts and those feelings, you would say, I don't know where I got this. I don't know when it started. This is before I can remember. Well, demons can get strongholds in you before you can remember. That's true, actually. I can give you a book on it. Hmm. It's interesting. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He gave you a gender biologically, male or female. There's only two. The teachings of Jesus, Matthew 19. He's teaching on marriage. And he says, have you not read that in the beginning... God created them male and female, which was Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27. Not a verse on marriage, by the way, 
but he quotes God's design in gender and he says, and for this reason, God's design in biological gender, a man, biological male, shall leave his father and mother, biological male and female, to be united to his wife, biological female. I'm saying that because the words in Greek have those biological connotations. And the two shall become one flesh, the body parts fit together. What am I saying? Transgender, homosexual people who are seeking God, they think they're told a lie by some other pastors who are not preaching the Bible. And they, they, they quote Psalm 139 and they say, well, God made, made you this way. See, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Really, did he knit me together in my mother's womb with anger to where I want to kill another person sometimes? Don't judge me. When you were trying to go around that roundabout this week, you felt the same way. <laughs> Did he knit that into me? Was that of God? Did God knit that into me? That anger that comes out sometimes? Did he knit that in there? Jesus said, for this reason, male and female, God knits you together in your mother's womb and you can look at your body and tell what you are. You can tell how God made you. And Jesus said, Jesus said, there's a sexual orientation that goes with the biology. And so if you're feeling feelings opposite than that or attractions opposite than that, God did not knit that into you. He did knit you together in the womb, but he didn't knit that into you. And here's the deal. I'm not trying to pick on you. What I'm saying is I have those types of things in my life. They're just not the same things. There are other temptations. There are other desires for things that aren't good. And what do I have to do? I have to, if I've given in to them and sinned, I have to repent and get right with God and say, I won't do that anymore, which I've had to do before. (laughs) And then when I feel those things sometimes, which I still do from time to time, those pulls, those temptations, what do I have to do? I have to deny myself, take that thought captive and bring it under the lordship of Jesus and crucify it. To live according to his word because that's where true freedom is. And any other pastor tells you any different on any of that stuff, I'm telling you what, he's not preaching the word of God. And I long to be able to comfort people. I long to be able to say, Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. I long to be able to say, peace, peace. But I can't say that when you don't have peace with God because you're living in a stronghold. I will comfort your spirit, but I can't coddle your strongholds anymore because God's opened my eyes to it. And it's killing you. It's killing your family. It's killing your calling. It's killing the church in this nation. It's killing the church in the world. And you might get to heaven as one escaping through the flames, but other people will go to hell if we're not fulfilling our callings. There's a big price, guys. It's not all about us. Enough of this selfish, consumeristic Christianity. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And it's about helping other people know him and love him, follow him. Amen?